All right, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to episode number three of Can Am Soup. I'm joined by my wonderful co-host, Todd Fuss. Todd, how are you doing? Doing good, Jeremy. How about yourself? Doing good. So how have things been going for you this week? I noticed you were uh, wrestling with that tree that you had in your, your yard. <clears throat> yeah, uh, obviously I'm not going to have the uh, the gentleman back who can't pay for his equipment. So, and I know that my tractor, the, the little compact Kubota I have, uh, L2501, isn't strong enough to do what I need it to do. I just figured I would take the how do you need an elephant approach, you know, one bite at a time. Started, uh, you know, bucking up the uh, one little section of log, uh, got it moved, even though it was just on that borderline because it was dragging the tractor sideways, but the tractor was also dragging the log. I was, you know, got one load of... Uh, I've got a Kawasaki mule, and I was able to cut enough of that log to make one load in the mule and take it behind the shop, unload it. I came back to do another, and my new chainsaw decided it was going to die, so my luck holds out. You know, I can't get anything done. <laughs> oh, that's frustrating. And, you know, I'm limited. I can just I have to cut things smaller than I would ordinarily cut them. You know, I'm limited in what I can lift, and right now, you know, waiting on my surgery next week, but, uh, yeah, I didn't overwork the chainsaw, had the right fuel, had the right bar oil, and I think the, I may have had the chain a little too tight, I'm not sure, and then that caused the clutch to fry itself. Doesn't sound right, but. No, because that'd have to be super duper tight. Yeah, and I have a. Enough, you know, you you pull it down till that uh, <clears throat> top part of the chain that's in the track on the bar is just inside the track. You know, mm -hmm. you have that much slack in it, and that's what it's got in it. I don't, I don't know. No, but that, it, would, that uh, would be too tight. Then. There's nothing. There's nothing jammed up in the in the chain. The chain quit uh, rotating when it should, and then a bunch of rubbery smelling blue smoke started coming out of the uh, clutch housing so who knows I, bet, I wonder if it's just a friday clutch could be no um, monday or friday clutch yeah you know because I, I used the chainsaw one time when i was like i don't know a teenager and i didn't know anything about it setting them up and i had it so tight that uh the when i was done like it there's like smoke and uh, coming off the bar and I actually turned the bar blue. Like, I, I heated it that much, so... Oh, uh, but awesome. even that didn't fry the clutch, so it must have been just, like, a default or something, or a, a defective clutch or something that you had there. Yeah, I'm going to... Uh, I woke up this morning. I didn't get a lot of sleep last night because of pain, and I woke up this today, and I'm in a really bad mood because of the chainsaw and a lot of pain because of my back. And But later on, <clears throat> I'm going to go out and take it a you know, take the cover off, take the bar, take the chain, just see what's wrong with it. And if it's yeah, just the yeah. clutch, I'll run down to the local farm store and see if they got a replacement. Yeah. Right on. I know that stuff's frustrating, but you like uh, you like working on little chainsaws and stuff like that? Yes, I actually 
took shop in high school uh, to learn how to work on small engines because, I mean, that was the first thing that, you know, I can remember doing other than, you know, taking mom's stuff apart and making her mad when I was little was working on small yeah. engines, you know. Uh, somebody in the neighborhood, their lawnmower quit working. Todd, go fix that. Huh? Yeah. Yeah, no, go fix it. You're a guy, right? Go fix it. Yeah, that was just the way of the world then. Yeah. So I learned how I love doing it, but some of the, you know, newer stuff is kind of weird. And a lot of the um, consumer grade products uh, are just made to break. You can't fix it and you got to get a new one. Yeah. Well, especially like like a lot of the little carburetor parts and stuff like that. Uh, you know, things that used to maybe be steel are now plastic. Um, and it's, I don't know. And then sometimes just finding the parts for that stuff, right? Like it's, it's crazy. Yeah. The, we bought a, before we left Maryland, we bought a, a push mower just to be able to do the parts of the yard. The riding lawnmower wouldn't do. And the, we used non-ethanol gas because because you know small engine ethanol the first after the first you know summer let it sit all winter went to use it the next uh spring you know fill it back up with gas because you're running out of gas completely the you know the fall before so even if there's any moisture in it whatsoever even though you're using non-methanol gas it won't break anything Mm. oh no the cold just the cold ruined the carburetor because it's 100% plastic and nylon. Wow. And for some reason, it the it had gotten so cold just in, there in Maryland that the uh, in uh, the float housing it just crystallized the plastic. Wow! I'm like, really? So we looked and I looked around for ever and finally found a good uh you know little old lady uh old-fashioned gas lawnmower from like the late 80s early 90s that had just sat and uh the engine wasn't froze that thing's just you can run kerosene through that thing i love it (laughs) yeah yeah we got this past summer our some friends of ours uh, their parents live maybe like 10 minutes from our house out on a farm and they're kind of getting to the age where they're retiring and they're trying to clean up their farmyard before, you know, they pass on. And, um, they had this old lawnmower. Oh, what was it? Is a, a Massey something. Deutz, I think. Uh, anyways, this is green garden tractor and they couldn't get it running. None of them. Well, the, the, the original guy, the grandfather, who's like kind of off of the farm now. He was mechanically inclined, but his sons weren't overly much. And then, you know, their families below them and stuff. And so nobody could get this thing running. And she put it on Facebook for free, I guess. And my wife saw it. It was like a Saturday morning. And uh, so texted, hey, Janine, you know, is that thing available? She goes, oh, yeah, come get it. We're getting rid of it right now. And so I grabbed my boys. We lit up a little trailer, drew it out there. And I I don't know what they tried to do to get it running, but I put gasoline in it (laughs) and put a new battery on it and I had to use a little starting fluid, but once it started, it ran fine. Right. Um, so they obviously have no clue. They said, Oh yeah, this engine hasn't ran forever. We couldn't get it started. And I, I didn't do anything. It was like a booster, 
some starting fluid and some fresh fuel, and that was it. It, it started and ran. Uh, but the nice thing with this engine is that it's like it's an old like it's got cast iron cylinders, and this thing I'd probably say is like late '80s maybe. And man, I start that a thing up like I just I put a new fuel filter on. I did a couple things to it, bought a battery for it and stuff. But I just I barely touch that key and it just goes and it run it starts and runs and I'm just like, you know I've got a much newer uh, lawnmower. I, I kind of bought it just like whatever. Let the boys mess around with it, see if we can get it running. And actually, my wife's grandmother had given us their lawnmower after they moved away from their farm, and it's it's much newer than this one, but it doesn't start well. Uh, it has no manual choke. Everything's like you know, diaphragm and spring and automated. I don't know. It does. It just doesn't work. Like I have to sit there and crank it and crank it and crank it. And it'll finally start up and you have to talk real nice to it until it gets warmed up. Uh, but man, these old, those old engines, you know, like cast iron cylinders and they just, boom, they fire up and, oh, they're, they're incredible. Oh, absolutely. They don't make them you like can, that anymore. You, you find a uh, 19, I'll say 1920, one cylinder hit and miss engine. You can make that thing work in 2020. Yeah. You get a used 2011 Kia, you can't make the damn thing work. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, man, that's the one thing I'd like to buy is one of those hit and miss engines. They, I, I see them, guys will buy them and they'll repaint them like they'll, you know, re, air quotes, restore them. <laughs> I mean, there's not much to do. Basically, you might have to adjust something. but And then they paint them and they make them look brand new and then they want 2000 bucks for them. I'm like, oh, man. I always hope I can go to a farm sale or state sale and just see one sitting there for like fifty bucks. I would I would buy it right now because they look so cool. I just had an opportunity, uh, uh, an estate sale around here to get a hit and miss engine for just a couple hundred dollars. Uh, we weren't going to be around at that time the auction ended, so I couldn't get it. But uh, I'm still on the lookout for another one. Um, yeah. If I find one, I'll let you know. Yeah. No, they're they're so cool. And you can, there's still guys that will run certain things off. I've seen guys that have these log splitters that run off like a flywheel type thing. And, you know, it basically runs until you engage like a single rotation cam type thing. So clink, clink. And uh, have you ever seen those kind? I mean, they're really dangerous. Yes. Uh, Those are uh, cool. I ran one one time. uh, This guy... It was up in Montana, and we were we would help this guy brand every year. Yep. And it, um, if anyone ever wants to not like beef for the rest of your life, go brand. <laughs> it, it didn't affect me like that, but uh, it's the most horrific smell in the calves when they scream. You're like, I'm really sorry. But oh, we yeah. would help him brand every year, and he's like, hey, um, we had a huge storm come through one winter and it, the trees were exploding and one leaning on his barn huge tree he's like i need help getting this thing down we'll, we'll be right there so we go out there help him safely get it off the barn get it on the ground he's like you want to help me split it i'll you know give you whatever he was going to give us because we helped him brand every year because then he let us hunt on his land and had some of the best antelope in montana run through his ranch you know I mean, the guy only had a small 13,000-acre ranch, you know, just a wow. tiny little thing. And uh, uh, <clears throat> he had an old hit-and-miss engine and this uh, flywheel f- 
uh, kinetic energy splitter. He's like, yeah, the you know, we've had it on the farm since the splitter since 1900. Right. Oh wow. And he showed us how to use it, and I used it once, and I walked off. I said, I, I, I that thing's gonna <laughs> explode. Uh, and he's like, no, no, no. We've, you know, we've been using this thing over a hundred years. You know, almost a hundred years at this point, uh, ninety-two years uh, when this happened. And one of my friends went over. I'll do it. You know, you're just a blankety blank. Uh, no, no, that thing's gonna explode pretty soon. And wow. about the third log, my buddy went over there and did the uh, wedge went through the base. Uh, oh wow! It was over it, over time. The it had uh, oh what is that bearing material that you pour? Oh, Babbitt. Uh, Babbitt. It had Babbitt bearings, and they were wore out from you know before I was born. Yeah, yeah. So it had too much stroke now because if the Babbitt bearing, well, let's say, it was two inches thick, well, it has an inch more throw now. Times that by however many joints are wore out, it has more yeah. throw than it's supposed to have. You know, fix the bearings, it might work just perfect, but no. And that thing went through the base, and uh, my buddy had a about a 40-pound half log in his face. And it wasn't good. Oh, wow. Yeah. He yeah. lost about four teeth, broke his nose. Seriously? Uh, cracked his orbital bone. Oh, wow. And after we were done laughing at him, we helped him up and took him to the hospital. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's crazy. It is so awesome that no one will laugh at you harder than a friend, but they'll do it as they're helping you. Yeah, yeah. You know, that sort of reminds me of, um, I was working on in San Antonio, Texas, once we were putting in a, a carousel for Southwest Airlines. And this was a, so this was in a, a, a makeup room. And, and at the time, like San Antonio wasn't really busy for Southwest. I, I don't know how many flights a day, but it wasn't like a, a major hub or anything. And so we're putting this carousel and he's in the, the baggage room and there's one conveyor feeding, confe- feeding it. So basically any, any luggage going onto a bay, onto a plane, you know, came down from the ticket counter, plopped on this carousel and then the baggage handlers would take it and load it to their carts. And we had four days to get this thing running. And so we tore out the new one. We had to build up the concrete curb. We had to extend it a little bit cause they basically needed more room so they could have more bags pile up on there. And, put a new carousel in and then extend the baggage conveyor coming down to it. We had to do this in four days. So we were working, I, we were working like 20 hours a day. You know, we, we'd work, we'd go to IHOP for breakfast slash whatever the meal was at whatever time we quit working. We'd crash at the hotel for like two or three hours, literally, and then go back again. And obviously things get a little dangerous when you're working like this. And, uh, this, this gentleman, his name is Ian. It was the same guy as I was talking about in the last episode, I think where, or, the first episode, maybe when I was talking about people that don't know how to treat people, right? The personal uh, communication stuff. Uh, this is the same guy. And so we were working together and he was drilling with one of these is a, is a Makita, a half inch uh, corded electric drill. You ever seen those ones and they, they have the handle that can screw onto the top, like the angle grinder style. Yes. Uh, these things are torque monsters. Anyways, we're, it's it about, we're probably like five or six hours from being done this job and we're putting some of the trim pieces on and he was drilling through with this thing and he was kind of laying down on the slow plate, like all of the, we called them flights 
uh, all the, these pieces of plastic, you know, that make up that sloped portion, they were installed and he was laying on there and he had the drill kind of up by his head and this thing grabbed <laughs> and it smashed his tooth, right? And it just, his front tooth just shattered it, just one of them. And I remember, he went, oh, and I saw it happen. I was like, oh, are you all right? And he goes, oh, he grabbed the drill and he threw it as hard as he could against the cinder block wall. And I said, what's the matter? Are you okay? He goes, I lost a tooth. And he goes, well, that was an important tooth. And I started laughing so hard. And I said, Ian, all teeth are important, <laughs> you know, but just the way that he said it, you know, he's bleeding a little bit and stuff. He's like, that was an important one too. And I was like, all your teeth are important, Ian. But it was the same type of thing. I started laughing so hard at him and he was pretty ticked off. We didn't need to do anything. He didn't go to the hospital or anything like that, but. When you when you told that story, that reminded me is like my buddy just got his tooth knocked out by drill, and I just was killing myself. And probably some of that had to do with the fact that I was over overly tired. But yeah, gotta love good friends like that, huh? No, I mean it's just a guy thing, and I hate to you know break it to the world, but there is such thing as a guy thing. <laughs> you know, you're and if you're a. Uh, <clears throat> multi-millionaire Wall Street type, you may not be this kind of guy thing. But if you're a blue-collar worker out there busting your knuckles, humor is paramount to your, you know, mental well-being. Uh, hmm. And we just have humor towards one another. Sometimes it's good, clean, wholesome humor, and sometimes it's the most horrific humor that you'd ever heard. But, you know, it just depends on the group of guys you're around and you know and yeah. when, well, a lot of times when the co-worker gets injured out on the job site it's not due to like the failure of something it's due to their negligence or stupidity and that's the first thing a good friend will point out to you you know ah you know this thing you know i broke my finger well, dumbass, what were you doing? And then you start laughing yeah. and then while, you, while you are splinting their finger, getting ready to go to the hospital. Yeah. Yeah, he said, I say when I was working at Sanjel, funny trumps all. You know, <laughs> say something like, well, that's kind of mean. It's like, was it funny? Yeah. <laughs> that's all that matters. I, I tell big kids that sometimes, but I'm like, it's not really true, but sometimes funny trumps all. It does. Um, not all the time. You know, certainly... Not maybe not supposed to in church, but you know, sometimes funny absolutely trumps all, and yeah, sometimes you nothing but funny is the medicine for what's wrong. Mm -hmm. You know, funny can make you. Uh, well, here's a, a quick story about funny being medicine. <clears throat> an injured service member in the middle of a battle going into shock because they're in danger of bleeding to death. We're doing our best to fix that problem. But to keep them from going into shock, we start telling horrific jokes. Really? I started playing the dozens with this guy, which for people that weren't alive in the 1980s, <clears throat> you start, you know, saying something, you know, your mama is so blank, and then they do it back to you, and the first one that flinches loses. Yeah. So I'm playing the dozens with this guy just to keep him out of shock. And every once in a while to this day, many, many years later, 
I'll get a card or an email or a text um, letting me know what's going on in his life because he has one now, according to him, yeah. because of what I did. Yeah. You know, I, I still don't know why he didn't name his children after me. You know, just because he had all girls is no excuse. That's you know. right. <laughs> Toddina. <laughs> Toddette. <laughs> all, signs, all sorts of things. Yeah. Um, but, you know, you know that's, so that, humor is, you know, the best medicine sometimes. Yeah. You know, and to. That, that's the one. Go ahead. I was about to say, not the liberal snowflake, but there's that. Yeah. You know, that's the one thing I miss a lot about working alone now. Um, there's a lot of benefit to it. I'm, I'm not, I'm not a socialite. I'm definitely intro, an introverted person. Uh, but I did enjoy, you know, once you're at work, you, your, your coworkers become your good buddies, right? It's not like you're, it's not like you're going out to a party when you go to work. It's kind of like you can have a good day or a bad day. It doesn't matter. They're just your coworkers and after you've worked with them for several years, uh, but that's one thing I miss so much is the the laughing that we used to do. Like I I don't know, we would we got a lot of work done, but man, I would laugh till I cried at probably at least once a week at work. And there's some some weeks it, it depends what was going on or if we were like always on the test stand. Every single day, I would probably laugh so hard I'd cry. You know, just splitting a gut and is oh I miss that. You know, it's it's hard to have. I mean, unless you're listening to something funny, you just, man, it's, it's brutal, you know, but it was so good. And I think that's one of the reasons why we got so much done. Uh, like our crew, I mean, we were efficient, we did a good job, but like our bosses were always like, how do you guys do it? Like, oh, you do is goof around. It's like, no, we're not goofing around. Uh, you know, we're having fun, we're working hard. And if there's something funny to be said, we say it, you know, and then we laugh at it and it's, oh, it was so good. I miss those days a lot. Yeah. We, when I was doing concrete uh, as a young kid and we were pouring the international, uh, the brand new international terminal on the Fevel, North Carolina airport back in the eighties, uh, our little crew did about two and a half to three times more work every day than our two sister crews did. Right. And one of the reasons is we all got along. We didn't, hang out after work not one day uh as a group but out, out on the job we were all friends and we all had the same sense of humor which was really dangerous and the not only did the other two crews complain but some of the airport workers were complaining about you know our humor mm-hmm. and so our boss came up and he was like hey guys you know well we can we can tone it down and we can shut up but then our productivity will roll back as well you know because that's just the way we work and he went and explained that to the uh owners of the airport that were you know paying us this contract to pour all this concrete and he told everybody else in the airport to shut up and just deal with it yeah yeah because <laughs> these guys are working in fact you're going to be lucky if i don't put one of you over there every day to learn how they're working <laughs> yeah and, that, you know, that's just the way it was. Um, and the other two crews, you know, they got paid the same thing we did just because they were working at their pace. So what? You know, and we didn't, 
we didn't even look at it like that at the time. I didn't even realize we were doing so much more work than everybody else until years later because I was just having yeah. so much fun at work. It was the most horrific yeah. work ever for a 98-pound, 17-year-old. You know, you're up on the yeah. knee-deep in concrete holding the boom, you know. Oh, wow. No, it, it, you're, that thing is whipping you around like a cartoon character on a garden hose. Uh, yeah. But, you know, I think that, you know, really, pardon the pun, cemented part of my work ethic. It was that job. Uh, yeah. Because it was f- so much f- more physically demanding that I was able to give it or should have been able to give it. But I I kept up with the biggest, baddest dude on that crew. So, you know, yeah. I found a way to do it. And I think uh, that, you know, says a lot about uh, being able to overcome that kind of adversity. Uh, It says a lot about the content of somebody's character, Uh, which, Mm -hmm. by the way, uh, to our listeners, you know, MLK had it right. It's the content of your character, not anything else about you that we should care about. You know, there's my PSA for the day. No, I agree. You know, I I remember when I first started working, like I was working for my dad, and um, that's I mean part of the reason I why I quit high school is I I was working half a day. I'd, I'd do school from eight till noon, and then from like one to five I would work. And I thought, you know what, I could instantly double my money if I just quit school. And then I remember the first time I started going out to job sites because uh, before I was just working in my dad's shop, and then once I started doing installs. And you go to these, you know, sites and they're building like a brand new airport somewhere. And I I don't know, it kind of felt like, okay, now I'm in an arena or like, you know, now there's other people working here too. And I remember it was the first time that I was around like grown men and we're all working, you know, and and I remember this feeling that, okay, now I got to, I got to go, right. I got to prove myself. I got to prove my worth. And that setting for me really kind of just motivated me to, to do as hard as I could go. And, you know, you, you know, like when you're telling your story there, it reminded me of that same feeling where it's kind of like, you know, you, you that when you can tell that, I don't think you can tell at the time, but looking back, I could tell that that's where I developed my work ethic. And I miss those days because, you know, since those early days of an install, you know, I, I went on to, to running crews and then you're the, the site foreman and then your project manager and it, it's different, right? You, you're mostly looking after people and okay, you go here, you're making sure your materials, your shipments come in and you know, the, the customer's happy, you're working with other trades. And so it's not that same hustle where it's like, you know, how quickly can I move these sections of conveyor in place, you know, and boom, boom, boom. Oh, I miss those days. And, and since those early years, maybe the first five years when I was kind of like a, you know, just as a, a tradesman on the tools, uh, I'd, I've never had to work that hard and I kind of miss it, you know, and I, 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 I kind of wonder now if I had to, if I would, if I'd be able to, I'm, I would hope I still could, but I don't know those glory days when it's just, you can, you look back on them like, man, did I ever work hard? A- and you know, you don't notice it in the moment, but looking back, I'm like, I bet everybody around me was absolutely kind of impressed. You know, they're probably blown away by how much I got done. Yeah, I, I, I've actually thought about this since I, excuse me, since uh, last 
August August of 2019, when I was uh, eventually uh, retired under disability against my will. Uh, what I missed most uh, about my very you know the various jobs I've had was it the blue collar jobs or the white collar jobs, and by without a question the days of busting my knuckles, being un- uncomfortable, upside-down positions, trying to fix something, outweigh and are, were way more enjoyable, and I learned much more from than all of the days of being in an office, doing legal work, uh, making a ton of money combined. Yeah. You know, the yeah, I don't, being a mechanic may have broken my do. back, but uh, being a... Uh, in indoor office worker broke my spirit. Yeah. yeah. I don't care how much money. I don't think you could pay me enough to take another office job in my life. I, I don't think so. It is well, soul sucking work. And I, some people are made for it. I, I mean, I, you know, there's different personalities and stuff and, and maybe it's a great fit for some people, but, oh, I, I honestly, I don't think I would, I'd rather, I, I'd far rather pull cans out of garbage cans or, or, you know, pick bottles in the ditches for money than work in an office again. I will never. I can't, I can't say that, but I will. I hate it. There are and three I, I jobs. For a long time. There are three in, inside jobs I would take for any amount of money, uh, <clears throat> and only those three. Uh, one is king. Uh, one would be in charge of the education system to fix the curriculums in public schools. Uh, and the third would be uh, to teach blue-collar work in a technical school. Yeah. But if it's not one of those And that's not three, even an I'm office not... job. Yeah. Um, I've thought about teaching at, like, going to teach at SATE. Um, like, my dad taught mill writing at SATE, and that's all you need uh, as a prerequisite. All, all the instructors, I mean, they're not... They don't necessarily have... Uh, like any degrees or anything in education, uh, but you have to have the ticket of what you're going to teach. And then you obviously have interview processes and you have to take some, some basic courses and stuff like that. But uh, I've got friends that I worked with and they actually got jobs teaching at SAIT. And, and it's kind of cool because you have a guy who's, who's worked in the trade and he's not like, oh yes, I've got a master's in education or, or something in my opinion, relatively useless like that. You know, it's like, uh, I'm a tradesman. I've done this before. I uh, used to build houses, and I'm going to show you how to do it. And then they're very relatable, right? <laughs> it's like, you know you know what the guys in the job site talk like. You know what they think like. You know all that stuff. And you're just teaching that to your students. And I, I think it's fantastic. I always thought that would be kind of fun is to be an instructor at a technical college. But. Yeah. I. <clears throat> that's, yes, you're absolutely right. Um I didn't explain it very well. I was trying to keep it short. What I, I was talking about um, teaching the, uh, the benefits of being a blue-collar worker over something else because oh, not everybody okay. needs a college degree. Like Micro uh, in his Works Foundation, um, not everybody needs to go to college, but we desperately need tradesmen and women, you know, tradespeople yeah. out there. Um, we're in desperate need of electricians, plumbers, and builders in this country. Uh, but uh, anyway, 
Mm-hmm. You know, because I mean, I don't know how many people serve me every day at a McDonald's counter that have MBAs. You know, there's only so many people that yeah. can have business degrees. You know, that don't have businesses. Yeah. That's just stupid. But yeah. Well, it's unbelievable when you look at the statistics of who, you know, coming out of university uh, with with whatever degree, you know, the percentage of the students that graduate that actually get employed in the field in which they studied, you know, it's in, it's, I don't have the numbers in front of me, but if you look at it, it's absolutely unbelievable. It's like, wow, to the point that, I mean, it's a very valid argument that most, a lot of people that get a post-secondary education, it's a complete waste of time for them. You know, oh, absolutely. It was interesting because we were having the uh, what's that? The last time I heard, uh, I listened to uh, Mike Rowe give one of the Works Foundation uh, speeches. It was eight percent. Wow, that actually get a job in what they studied. Yes, eight percent, and he said most of those are in engineering and scientific fields. Wow, you know, because you, if you're a uh, if you're a really smart student and you're studying astrophysics, you probably have a job before you even graduate. You yeah. Know, literally you're working for the company doing your um, thesis. And yeah. Yeah. That's crazy. Um, so with the, you know, this group that I'm with, with the air cadet squadron, our, our, our squadron sponsoring committee, um, our secretary was talking to me, no, our treasurer, sorry. And her son works at a local grocery store. And, you know, because of the pandemic and stuff, a lot of what, what our government does, they give it this thing called CERB. And I don't know what the acronym stands for, but basically it's, you know, X amount of dollars per month uh, for every person. And almost everybody's eligible for it. And um, so many people can make about as much money uh, from the government as long as they're not going to work. Like if you're scared of the pandemic, you can stay home and, and get a paycheck. And so a lot of these entry level service positions are unfilled. And uh, locally, the Starbucks actually, uh, for a while, for a couple months, it would only be open like three, four, five days a week. You'd, and it was kind of random. It's like there'd be a sign up front say, sorry, we don't have enough employees today. <laughs> so it'd be closed. Uh, but anyways, back to this, uh, the story. So the son of our, our, our treasurer, He's picking up all these shifts while he's going to school. So he's in high school and he's, he's a girl, he's doing all sorts of stuff. You know, he's working at the butcher counter, he's stocking shelves and he's collecting, I think he's working like 30 to 40 hours a week and she's always kind of nervous. And, and she's saying that what he wants to do is become a heavy duty mechanic and do an apprenticeship. And she had no clue what that was. So I kind of talked to her about it and her big concern with him working is he's working and then he's putting all of it into his car. You know, he's fixing up this car as an amazing sound system. And he's like, oh, it's just such a waste. I said, honestly, I said, to my opinion, like she asked, she's a single mom and she's kind of saying, I just don't know what to do. I said, honestly, I'd let him, just let him go for it, right? I said, he's a young man, he's working and he's making money. And there's things he can do now that would be irresponsible for him to do later in his life. You know, he he doesn't have a girlfriend, he, he doesn't have a wife. Now is the time to to you know, have fun, enjoy, work hard, make your money and spend your money on toys. You know, once, once you get a little bit older and you decide you want to settle down, I said, that'll come, you know, it, it eventually will. And then, you know, he can be more responsible and he's already had that experience. And, you know, I was like that. I had a lot of motorcycles and, 
all kinds of toys, always making like doom buggies and stuff like that. Um, and then the same thing, like she was saying about, uh, she said, well, I need to save up for his education. Like he's spending all this money and what if he wants to go to university? And I said, well, he wants to do trade school, right? Like get an apprenticeship. She said, that's what he wants, but how much does that cost? And I said, well, it's, it's nothing. Like uh, you have a very small tuition, at least the way the, the program works here as an apprenticeship, you have to be employed by a company that's registered with the, the province, uh, the provincial apprenticeship program. But basically you have a job there, you work your 10 months to get your hours, and then you go to school for two months. And during that time when you go to school, because the government wants to encourage tradespeople, uh, basically your company lays you off and there's a special type of uh, a layoff they can do that you're guaranteed a job when you come back. And it's specific for going to trade school. So basically you get laid off and that allows you to collect employment insurance. And it is funny, you go to school the first day, you get your books or whatever, you go buy all your materials. And then the second line you go stand in is the, um, the employment insurance. They actually have the government agents come there and you fill out your employment insurance. And so you start collecting your, your paychecks for being unemployed while you go to school. I mean, usually it takes about six weeks till they're processed. So you have to save a little bit of money when you're going to school because you're, you're not getting your paycheck from your place of employment. But and it, you know, they try and encourage this so much because nobody's going into the trades. And a lot of companies now, like even where I worked at Sandgel, like I got my journeyman millwright a long time ago and I was starting a heavy duty apprenticeship. Uh, when you go to school, they give you 800 bucks a month to help cover gas uh, driving to school back. Because you have to, it's not downtown, but it's further away than most people. You know, mo most tradesmen don't drive downtown Calgary for, you know, every day. So they actually give you 800 bucks a month. Plus they buy your books. And it's incredible, you know, because like you said, the world needs tradespeople. And it's not taught. I, I don't know why it's not pushed, but kids coming out of high school, it's like, okay, you're going to work in tech or what are their thinking thing? You know, like it's just insane. These options aren't presented and you can make a really, really good living getting your hands greasy and in a pair of coveralls. Yes. Um, the, the <clears throat> my favorite example, and this is a real example, is a family with four children and they're all within a year of each other. The oldest one graduated high school, went to a Ivy League college. The second one went to a Tier 2 school. Uh, the third one went to a Tier 2 school. And then the all three of those went on to postgraduate work. When the third child said, I want nothing to do with college. It, school is boring to me. Uh, and went into the same trade field as their father. You know, because dad worked his butt off their whole life to be able to put his kids through college uh, and did a very good job at that. Well, you know, that uh, fourth child and the youngest uh, went to work with dad in, in dad's company, but not directly for dad as an apprentice. Uh, and by the time the other three kids had finished their, you know, life in college and higher learning and went to get a job the highest paid of those three was making about thirty seven thousand dollars a year that wow. youngest child was making 110 at the same time yeah yeah and none of those three um 20 years later had ever caught up with the the, the youngest child and uh uh in salary because, you know, he went on yeah. to branch off 
they make a sister company to his dad's company. He's a multi, multi, multi millionaire. And the other three are just trudging through um, what most people consider to be successful lives in white collar. And they're, you know, they can't even afford to have kids. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, and that's even including like, so the father was one that put them through school, right? Yes. Um, most, you know, a lot of kids going to school, they end up incurring all their school debt. And so then you come out of school, you, you don't necessarily have a job. You do have a lot of debt. You know what I mean? It's, what do you got, like $100,000 in debt? You, you got to work for a good long several years before you can get that paid for. And the only, you know, and like I, I what like, is it, uh, the first two years are the only ones you don't have to pay. You know, after you graduate, they give you a two-year grace period before your payments have to start. Something okay. like that. Something like that. Yeah, at least here in the States. And then you have to start paying. And then the worst thing they did is allow f- further deferral of that. Yeah. Um, you know, you can kick it down the road 10 years. Uh, I actually know somebody who did that. Now they're, you know, when they had to start paying, their payments would have been more than they were making. Wow. That's crazy. Yeah, I <clears throat> I don't believe in any of that. I think that... Um, if you're not smart enough to get a uh, a scholarship or physical enough to get scholarship, although I don't believe in sports scholarships or professional sports to begin with, um, but if you're not smart enough to get a academic scholarship, why should anybody be investing to help you? You're just mm-hmm. average. You know what I mean? If you can afford to go... Yeah. If you can afford to go to college because your parents can pay for it or you are smart enough to work your way through college and, and just take your time to do it like Mike Rowe did. Uh, he went to school as he was could afford to put himself through school. You know, it took him, you know, 10, 11, 12 years to get a degree, but he did it himself and he didn't owe anybody anything at the end of it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and now look at and, it. And peop- <laughs> yeah. And people don't appreciate what they don't pay for, right? Um, Ain't that the truth? I, uh, yeah, I have a cousin. He where does he live now? I think he lives. He he's become a U.S. citizen. He married an American, and um, he went to school. Uh, some really is like computer engineering, and this was probably in the early '80s, maybe, or sorry, late '80s, early '90s, and ended up getting a really good education and worked full time. And so he was actually a waiter at a really high end steakhouse, which is a good option because you get a decent, uh, a decent wage plus all the tips and you know, your clientele's, you know, they're, they're wealthy and it's very, he had the personality for, he's very, uh, you know, all the right things for it. And he ended up getting a job. I remember last time I saw him, it's a couple of years ago, he came down, he flew home for Christmas, uh, but he forgot his computer. And so he's taken three weeks off at Christmas. And so he just called into the office and said, Hey, listen, uh, I left my computer. I need a new one because I got a couple things I want to do. And it was about two hours later, a courier came, and, and they live just on the edge of town. Like, uh, I think they're like three acres. Uh, they might actually be annexed into the city now, but, you know, it's not like they're in, the, in a downtown hub or anything. And like two hours later, this truck comes, a courier comes out, and has got a brand new computer for him. And I was like, oh, thanks. And his mom was telling us that when he signed with this company, he went to, like, he worked for IBM, and he did something where he... He explained to me one time, he said, if you take a piece of paper 
and you cut that, you, you know, the thickness of a piece of paper. He said, I basically take uh, computer chips that are that size and, and different components, and we'll cut that 10 times and then install it into this other thing here. So he does like the actual, like the design and engineering of computer components. And it's funny because he's a very athletic. He's always on like football team, not a nerd by any stretch. Uh, but he actually put himself through and graduated with zero debt, paid all of his school. And I, I think the last company he signed on with, he got like a $400,000 signing bonus or something. Uh, he, I don't know. I don't know how much he makes. It's an insane amount of money. Um, but, you know, and, and, and I think that, you know, he, his parents didn't have the means to pay for him. Right. And so many people are like, oh, I can't put my kids to college. If he wanted it that bad, he literally knew what he wanted to do. He's worked in that field from the time he graduated, which would have been like the mid 90s till now. He still works in that field and he still loves it. You know, he loves his job. And, and that's the difference. I think so many kids go to school these days and it's just like, oh, I really don't want to join the workforce yet. I'm, I'm going to get a bachelor's of arts and something, you know, or whatever they do. And I, I thoroughly believe and it's kind of an unpopular opinion sometimes, but I truly believe that most kids going to university, it's just to dodge reality. It's just to goof around. You know what I mean? And it's a complete waste of time. Their parents' money, if their parents are spending it, or the, <laughs> it's just like, hey, let, let's be dumb, party, and at the same time we're partying, let's dig this huge hole that's called debt, and then as soon as we're done partying, we're just going to be in the bottom of it and trying to figure out how to get out. You know, I am, I'm not a not a fan in university. And I tell my kids, I say, you know what, if, if there's something specific you want to do that requires that education, then yes, you have to get it. But if you don't know what you want to do, if you don't have like a burning desire to become, you know, a whatever researcher, a lawyer, if, if that's what you want to become, then that's a great path. And then you work on that path. But if you don't know what you want to do, it's like, ah, I'm not entirely sure, then you do not go to university. You know, you go get a job and you work, you can work for three or four years, figure it out and be like, oh yeah, I want to do this now. Well then yeah, go to university at that point, right? But then it's a, it's, it's got value and a specific reason to it. Well, you know if, what I mean? If I got one of my three dream jobs being king, uh, one of the things people would do is after they graduate, um, normal school, you know, so high school, they graduate, they go to their conscripted uh, two years of mandatory military service, and during that time, they can figure out what they want to do with the rest of their life. As we help mature them more than uh, uh, beer pong would ever do in college, because mm -hmm. mm -hmm. uh, I've uh, spoken. One of the jobs I did, I spoke a lot to. Uh, juniors and sophomores in college and i've of the majority of them i've met more mature 10 year olds it's like they devolved when they went to college i don't know if it's all the mm -hmm. beer marijuana or what but or just not caring yeah and uh an intern i had when i was at dhs one of the smartest uh people young people i've met and you know in my in the last 20 years probably because uh, she knew exactly what she wanted to do she knew she set a goal and she did what she needed to do to get there right mm -hmm. uh, and, and she's brilliant to boot uh, and she said you don't even have to uh, put forth a lot of effort to get through college nowadays because 
if it's not a pub, I mean, if it's not a private school, if it's a totally private, yeah, you got to work and you got to earn your grades. But a lot of the um, non-private schools that get government money, it's based on the amount of graduates and your uh, uh, how high the grade averages are, right? So the schools have a financial interest in helping you get through college. You know, that's when you find out that, you know, uh, and it's not just with athletes, but I'll use that as an example, you know, because recently we, a couple years ago, there was that scandal with a professional athlete. They found out in his uh, four years of college, his real grade point average was like one. (laughs) But they graduated him with 3.0. Because they had to, you know, because he was, you know, number one draft pick. He was the best there was in NCAA, really successful in NBA. And one could argue you don't have to be a a brilliant to be a good basketball player uh, and succeed. And but you need to be able to save money and know how to run your yourself as your business. so you need those skills, but do you need a college degree? No. Yeah. yeah I, but don't fake it, people. Just don't fake it. Yeah. Yeah, I know. I hear you. It's a, it's a crazy system. Um, well, I mean, there's a reason that, ever, that Shaquille O'Neal had to go back to school as an adult. Yeah. Have you ever read that book, Shop uh, Shop Class as Soulcraft? No. Um, let's see. It's by something. That's his name. Shoot, I forget. Anyway, so this guy was, he, he worked in a think tank, and I, I forget what he did. He, he had some degree, and it was a job where you literally think about things, I don't, you know, and you come up with ideas and plans and it's for corporate America. And anyway, he remembers one day uh, at his job, like he said, he hated it. The, the money was insanely good. And he remembers one day he's looking over and one of his coworkers that had like a similar role to him did the same thing was like snorting cocaine and then doing his job. And he said, what, what's wrong with this? Right. And he, he kind of had like a mental breakdown and he decided he's going to open a motorcycle repair shop. And, you know, the whole book, he kind of talks about the fact, you know, people talk about blue collar work as, as not being intelligent. And he says, you tell me how little thinking you can do to repair an old vintage BMW motorcycle, you know, where you've just adjusted the points and you've, you've got the clean spark plug and this and this and all the timings, right. And it doesn't start. He goes, that is some thinking, you know, and he talks about these different jobs that people say, you know, he said, I don't know where on earth the, this whole idea of blue collar work, some people call it mindless work. It's like, well, it's not intelligent work, you know, and, and you're constantly, when you're fixing something, you're constantly analyzing data, like real physical data and, you know, projecting different probabilities. So what if I did this? So would it most likely be this or could it be that, you know, and your, your mind is constantly thinking about stuff. And, and multiple things at once, looking at multiple outcomes and then making a decision. And then on top of that, you get to actually get feedback right away and you're learning. It's like, oh, okay, so that wasn't that. This was the problem. Then the next time, you know, you, you go back to your hard drive 
and you pick up, oh, yeah, this, 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 you know, and it's, they say as, as far as like mechanical work and, and problem solving, physical labor, it's incredible for your mind. You know, you're running it through all the different cycles and then there's a memory that gets built upon and all this stuff, you know, that people don't ever think about that or even associate that possibility with blue collar work. You know, it's a really interesting book, though. And I hate that term, blue collar work. I, um, I, I wish people would call it uh, what it is. And if you go to school for it, you look up the the flow chart, the real title for all of these mechanical fields is applied sciences. Yes, yes. Because we are out we are out there applying scientific knowledge, whether it's engineering, electrical, mechanical, hydro whatever. Mm-hmm. And I I challenge everyone out there listening that that feels uh, blue collar work is beneath them that it's brainless work to go to YouTube and watch the channel South Main Auto. He's an auto mechanic in upstate New York. Uh, that's probably the best troubleshooter of any sort in applied sciences I've ever seen. And I haven't seen them all, but of the ones I have seen, uh, yeah. he has uh, car dealerships that can't figure out problems that bring their cars to him for troubleshooting. Yeah. I've heard of that channel name. Well, he's a big channel, uh, bigger than I thought it would be when I, when I ran across it. I was just looking up something about brakes on my Toyota truck, and uh, he had uh, videos not on necessarily brakes on my truck, but another Toyota chassis that's exactly the same, the Forerunner. And uh, then I started watching him, and it, it, I'm in awe of his ability to troubleshoot. You know, he does other things, you know, walk you through a complete brake change or a front-end change or rear differential. But his troubleshooting videos fascinate me because particularly the no crank, no start, well, that could be anything in the in the system from the starter switch to the you know your, uh, your your key to the ECM or a broken wire somewhere, uh, mm-hmm. or a grounded wire that shouldn't be grounded, and some of those things are so fat. He had one video, and I'm not necessarily saying um, this is exactly what the video was, but it was something as obscure he had a no crank no start on a 20 year old vehicle and it turns out the brake light was shorted okay how does one thing (laughs) deal with another well you know some vehicles have most people think oh it you know my brain box well which one because some cars have upwards of 10 uh this particular model of car had the ecm and the bcm and the body control module so anything having to do with the interior of the car, well, when it comes to starting the car, because you have your your seat belt or your brake pedal or whatever condition the vehicle has to be in before it will allow itself to start, um, the one of the brake light wires had been was frayed along with one of the BCM wires, and uh, it was constantly giving it a no signal and 
I think three mechanics and two dealerships couldn't figure out. One of the dealerships, you know, subcontracted, hey, you know, Eric, can you figure this out for me? And, you know, it took him about two and a half hours to find it. Hmm. Uh, and it's just you you break the system in half. All right, does this half have all of its, you know, grounds and powers and the right voltage or whatever, you know? Yes or no? If it's no, then that's the half of the system you focus on. You've now, you know, gotten rid of 50% of your problem. Mm-hmm. Okay, then the broken system, you break that in half and so on and so forth till you find it. Uh, yeah. He's absolutely brilliant, and every bit of troubleshooting should be exactly that. Um, how does yeah. the system supposed to work? Okay, now break it in half and see if that half works. And then yeah. so on and so forth. It, it's just fascinating. That's exactly how our um, flow charts, our troubleshooting flow charts work you know, uh, in the Air Force working on airplanes. Yeah. It didn't say it, but, you know, once you got really good at it, you knew, oh, we're just breaking the system in, into pieces. Mm-hmm. The thing I love about mechanics is that it's all, it's governed by law, by laws, right? The laws of physics. There's, you know, there's things that, that are hard to figure out and make you shake your head. But when you're, when you're trying to get to the solution, you always know that it's going to be something logical. You know, like there's, uh, there's never any like mystery involved. You, when you're dealing with people or like no, you know, you're trying to solve a problem with an organization and you're dealing like on a, on a team with people, it's like, oh, there's so many things. It could be, you, you don't know, right? But when you're talking about a vehicle and a car, it's like, okay, you know, electricity goes from here to here and it always takes a path of least resistance. So it could be a short, right? Or maybe there's a broken wire and it's not making that. And it's always something logical. And, you know, it's like if if A pushes into B, then B is going to move as long as the force from A is stronger, right? That's just a law and there's no way around it. And for that end, it's, to me, uh, repairing vehicles and fixing and working with mechanical things, it's so understandable. It's logical. You know what I mean? There's, there's rational and reason to everything and everything makes sense. You don't always get the answer right away. And a lot of times you're stumped, but whenever you do get it, it's always one of these moments like, aha, that's exactly, oh, I should have known that. You know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> Whereas if everything, like, everything in applied science is based on tangible, proven laws of the physical yeah. reality. And theoretical, like office work, it's theoretical, you know, the thinking people, it, like science that we can't put our hands on. You know, every couple of decades they prove that, oh, God, we were thinking it the wrong way. But, you know, Einstein was wrong. Um, you know, really? And this is mm-hmm. the same science that's telling us uh, to wear a mask or not to wear a mask or yeah. stand six feet apart or 6.5 feet apart. Yeah. Well, can you tell me why? Well, no, we just think. Oh, yeah. God, really? Yeah. I know. I, I think there's a lot of things that uh, I think people give, we give ourselves way too much credit, you know, especially in, in the area of medicine and science and things that are way, way beyond um, 
you know, like, you know, obviously we've learned a lot about the human body, but there's so much we don't know. And I, I honestly don't know if we ever will know. And yet, you know, we, we do a couple of tests and we get a certain result that indicates something. We're like, oh, we figured it out. We, we know, it. you know, I'm a doctor, you know, or whatever. <laughs> you know, these are the same doctors that one, what was it, the 30s, 40s saying, oh, you should smoke cigarettes because it's good for you. It relaxes you, <laughs> right? And then now it's like, yes. oh, wait, but don't smoke. It'll kill you. And it's, ah, it, and, you know, it's like that. All medicine seems to be that way. It's very fickle. I, I mean, within reason. There's certain things that they seem to make steady progression on. Uh, and there, there are things that they've actually, they're amazing. You know, there's things that could happen today and you're almost surely guaranteed to come out, you know, uh, 100% at the end. Whereas, you know, 50 years ago, it's like, oh, we don't know what to do with that yet. So we are getting better. And I, I think the big problem is we end up thinking that we, we figure out one thing. And it's like, oh, good. Now we know everything, right? And now, and I guess that's, I guess too, that is the process of learning is is being wrong, Right. I guess yes. we can't we can't really expect, you know, you got to try if, something and see if it works or not. If people would just not believe everything they see today and study history and pay attention throughout your lifetime and take everything that these so-called experts say with a grain of salt, because they're not necessarily correct. They might be yeah. correct based on the information they have today their overall answer to the problem could be wrong in the long run. You know, in the, yeah. in the sixties, we, you know, found all my, in the early, late sixties, early seventies, oh my God, butter is killing you. Let's go yeah. to this margarine thing. Use margarine, 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 margarine. 25 years later, we figure out margarine's about 50 times worse than butter. Yeah. Uh, so go back to butter, but just moderate your use. Everything in moderation. You know, for the same thirty years that margarine was good, eggs were bad. Now they're like, oh no, wait, eggs are actually good. Yeah. Um, oh, but pasteurized eggs might be bad. So if you have your own chickens, those are the best kind of eggs for you. Yeah. Oh Jesus, people, really? Can you just yeah not publicize something till you're hundred percent sure? Well, you know, it's yeah. not the way science works. And you just have to understand that, that it's a, most science is best guess, unless it's physical science, you know, like physics. Mm-hmm. Um, Mechanics, yeah. Uh, then you can prove things for real, for real, you know. Yeah. I had my doctor that's going to do my surgery. He said, I have a, he's a neurosurgeon. He has a Ph.D., in uh, spinal neurology. He's one of the few people that, that have that PhD that's that specialized. Uh, he said, I've been oh, wow. studying this for X amount of years. We don't know bupkis about how the human nervous system works uh, compared to what there really is that we need to learn. Uh, so this, I think this is the right way to go. Uh, but I can tell you overall... This is your last chance. You know, either this works or you're just going to be in pain the rest of your life. Hmm. And he thought I was going to freak out on him, and I just, you know, shook his hand and said, thanks, Doc. I appreciate honesty. I would rather somebody mm-hmm. tell me you don't know, but I'll try to figure it out than to BS me. Particularly yeah. when it does, has to do with my spine, you know. Yeah. Um, my, uh, I had another surgery earlier on in my life, and 
1993, and had the exact same surgery to repair what they did 10 years later in 2003. And I need it done again, but it's not not so bad that I'm willing to rush right back into more hernia surgery. Yeah. But, you know, the first guy was, you know, a military doctor. He said, we're just going to fix it as well as we can. And the second time, that military uh, base that I was at in Missouri didn't have a uh, the ability to do inpatient surgery at that facility. So they contracted it down, down to a Catholic hospital. And if you ever want to see the worst bedside manner in the world, uh, deal with nurse nuns, let me tell you. Uh, oh, my God. It's like, um, I, I I won't go there, but uh, it was just the worst bedside manner ever. Uh, oh, but imagine. that doctor said, you know, this is what's wrong. This is what they did wrong in the last surgery, and this is what I'm going to do to fix it. Are you okay with that? Thank you for, you know, letting me know. Absolutely. You know, we need to fix this thing. Mm-hmm. So they went in there and put in uh, a type of Kevlar mesh and then screwed it to the pelvic bone where it, it oh, wow. couldn't, you know, come apart like the first surgery yeah. did. So he's like, now, you know, just quit trying to lift heavier things than you should. Well, you yeah. know, don't tell me that. Tell the Air Force. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. But, you know, and this type of hernia, though, with uh, someone who works with their hands or mechanic, something like that, it's not necessarily lifting. It's how you're lifting it, how your body's positioned when you lift it. Because yeah. I've never felt it go bad. It just goes bad over time doing, you know, mechanic-y type things. Mm-hmm. You know, because some of the, particularly in the aircraft, you know, literally sometimes you're upside down sideways and trying to reach around your back with your left hand all at the same time Mm -hmm. and then if you're a small guy like i was some of the access panels in that airplane that are just the worst places in the world to be you're the only guy that can get in there and they will shove you in you know yeah (laughs) yeah uh, without consideration if you can get out but yeah well and that's another thing too just kind of thinking about that i mean Obviously, with the physical work, we're kind of looking at the compare and contrast. You know, there's there obviously is the risk, right? Like office jobs typically <laughs> aren't that dangerous. Um, and, and, you know, physical work, there can be more risk. But then there's also the benefit that you're you're moving, right? You're not just sitting there. Um, I think there's, you know, like, like you're a mechanic uh, on the airplanes and, and access hatches. And then when I worked at Sandgel or even at the airports, you know, we'd run hydraulic hoses through these frames on these semi chassis and stuff. And even just the fact that, you know, you're crawling under, you're probably very similar to what you would do, right? You're kind of, you got to get inside somewhere and then you got to pull this hose along and then you got to kind of bend up and over and around, you know, that is so for your overall health and stuff, aside from injury, you know, that will keep you young for a really, really long time. Absolutely. If you did that your whole life, you know, you're going to be that 60 year old guy that could still win, uh, you know, at a, at a limbo contest or, uh, playing what, what's that, uh, what's that one with all the dots and you twister. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like you could be the old guy still just killing it at twister because you're doing that every day for your work. You're just, you're not sedentary, you know? And, and I think a lot of people don't talk about the dangers of office work. 
you literally are just sitting there still for hours at a time. And that's not good for people. You know, your, your body gets used to its joints not moving and, and you're just sitting there. I'm mm. honestly convinced if, if you were to do physical work safely and, you know, avoiding injuries, man, you will, you will live much longer and much healthier than an office person just sitting at a desk all day. Yes. Uh, <clears throat> I mean, there's a, also a such thing as, you know, working too hard and working yourself to death, but that's a whole mm. different thing. Um, yeah. But I, I absolutely agree. The, uh, I knew uh, when I was younger, much younger, uh, I was in my teens. I hadn't joined the Air Force quite yet. Uh, the father of the guy who owned the concrete company I worked at never did concrete. He did other uh, building-related things. You know, construction was one thing. He made trusses for industrial settings. I mean, you're talking, you know, 100-foot-long wooden beams. And he was in his late 80s when I met him. And he could whip anybody on the construction site in mm. his late 80s. Yeah. You know, you could – his his – muscles in his forearms just looked like um steel cables you know bunched wow. up uh, it, it, oh man yeah that's cool to see well he uh he was out there just he would bring everybody you know coffee or water sometimes uh he'd go to a special place and bring us all sandwiches you know every once in a while not every day well this particular day was one of those days he brought everybody sandwiches and uh he was just standing there in the uh, the concrete boom, the uh, the cable that we would, you know, safely attach it to something so it wasn't swinging back and forth while we weren't watching it broke, and this boom full of concrete was swinging towards a dude, and this old man just put out one hand and stopped it. Like, wow! Holy crap! I'm glad I don't yeah. owe you money. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Hey, can I get you to go talk to my mother-in-law? And by talk, yeah, I mean sure. strangle. But yeah, yeah. No, there's definitely a lot of benefits to uh, to physical work. You know, um, and, and then again, I mean, you know, I, I I think from our perspective, yourself and myself, we're both mechanically inclined people, right? I mean, and, and at the same time, we've both had office jobs, and I. I don't know. I, I I don't want to take away from the other side too. I, I do think there's some people who are literally just meant to push pencils. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, well, and I, I guess think, that's kind of pencil pushes derogatory, but no, it's I not. I I don't. I I was one. I don't take it personally. So therefore, it's, you didn't mean it that way. It's not derogatory. Um, no, but I was like I too, said. I think is it, it takes a you and an entire I. village to you know to raise a society. So there are people yep. that are meant to be office workers. There are people that are meant to be mechanics. There are people that are meant to be doctors. No one is meant to be a lawyer uh, unless you're born without a soul, you know? <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. So that's what I believe is you are born with a set of skills inside you, whether you choose to use them or not for a certain career field. Mm-hmm. We need ditch diggers and we need doctors. Yeah. Yeah. It's just weird how our system is set up to produce more of one type than the other. You know what I mean? And it's, I, 
I, I think guys like Mike Rowe and, and people like that. And I, there's a certain shift. This uh, gentleman, uh, Matthew Crawford, who wrote this book, Shop Class of Soulcraft, there's starting to be a shift where it's like, no, you know what? You know, uh, there's nothing wrong with going and, and getting a trade or working with your hands, learning to build stuff. You know, but I think it's, I hope we see more and more and more of it. Also, too, um, you know, you look at even like in what we call the maker space, you know, it's getting popular. Uh, shows like Forged in Fire, right? I mean, who knew that would be so successful? But people literally want to see some old world, old skills, people like making knives with with fire. It's, it's like a, as close as you can get to Stone Age construction, right? I mean, it's just after the Stone Age, boom, you know? It's interesting. It, it's I, there seems to be a bit of a resurgence, and I think it's a good, good trajectory, and I hope it keeps going. Yes, um, <clears throat> I just wish it was. Well, I wish it was a little bit different, but you know, whatever. They, How so? They have to, they have to promote it to a certain uh, type of audience, so this show's successful. I get it, but. Uh, uh, oh, you're talking about Forge and Fire. Yeah, Forge and Fire. And, I mean, the oh, makerspace yeah, that, in general. Um, yes. Um, makery is making another resurgence. Um, you know, the last one was in the late 70s. Now we're doing it again. Uh, now, uh, and it's awesome. I love it. Um, wish there was more of it. I can't stand a lot of it that we see on TV, YouTube, and Instagram and other social media because it's not real makery in, in Todd's opinion. Yeah. It's doing just enough entertainment driven to create clicks and get me money in my pocket. Uh, yeah. To sell ad revenue. You're not really making anything. Uh, you're not, you know, uh, sharing knowledge you're and then a lot of the stuff you see <clears throat> is done quote unquote you know half ass uh todd's opinion you know there are also things on instagram like uh homestead knives black rock knives and etc uh that are awesome that are you know real makers making things to the best of their ability that are you know high quality and it's offset mm -hmm. by, you know, the half-assery. Yeah. I'm I really avoiding we see, trying though, to say some names, but because I don't want to get yeah. sued or beat up. I you can't get sued. <laughs> well, maybe you can. <laughs> I can't. No. Um, no, but I, I think, too, like the, the makery space is also, in a certain sense, it's a reflection of gen society in general. Right? I mean, nothing's really expected of anyone anymore. Uh, you, you, if you show up, you get a gold medal and also the first place medal. <laughs> and then every, el every other person that showed up got the first place medal, right? Um, so there's a certain sense where, yeah, I, like I get what you're saying. So much of it's just like, really? But so much of people in general, you know, I didn't do anything. Hooray. Oh, good for you. Let's write a magazine article about you. You know what I mean? And our culture has... It is, I think I think it's a combination of several different movements and uh, different groups trying to voice their rights and stuff to the point where it's like, oh, if everybody, you know, 
everybody's a shining star and oh we couldn't ever you know we 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 can't not give this person attention because it hurts their feelings and then you end up with a whole bunch of well like snowflakes right like everybody's so special and it's just like oh yay you know i didn't do anything but i'm special yay accept me you know into the group and that's our society and then also what we see if you're into making things and you're looking up stuff on instagram youtube whatever on how to make stuff you see so much of that but in every area you'll see that right um so i I agree i think the the making is getting more popular but it's kind of a uh, the whole if i were to take all of it together it's a very watered down version of making you know there's there's not a lot of people that actually have old world skills um you know it's it's a lot of it's just one step above uh from you know assembling ikea furniture you know what i mean yes but i think um, i think that's just cuz that's kind of how our whole world is yeah there's uh a maker on youtube he's a fine furniture maker that i watch every once in a while uh he makes things that are you know the commission items but he also makes things you know to sell in his web store uh every bit of is has got his heart and soul in it his quality some of it's made the new way quote unquote whatever that is and some are the old-fashioned hand tools uh you know dovetail and uh mortise and tenon and i really like watching him sometimes you know uh he's doing another series of videos about something else that you know i'm not really into because that's not my thing he's rebuilding a uh uh travel trailer and yeah it's not my thing when he builds furniture, I watch his videos because he's really good at it, and I can relate to what he's doing. Uh, but what's, go to what's a, this guy again? another. I'm sorry. What's this guy's channel again? Uh, I, I knew you were going to ask me. Um, he's friends with Mac. Yes, he is. Right. Uh, okay. Yeah. yeah, I know who you're talking about. I yeah. forget that. I yeah. forget the name too. But. Um. Yeah, I, I will figure it out, and we'll let the. Yeah. audience know at some point uh we'll also go back in another episode re- uh coming up soon and uh fulfill the subject matter that was supposed to be today don't worry about it people. the pew pews we will get the pew pews um yeah. we, we try to keep this fluid um because it is a conversation between two friends um and that's the most important thing uh to us anyway Mm-hmm. But then you Sorry, go to you, a, you go to this other channel that's allegedly a furniture maker, and it's um, oh let me make you know a bunch of plywood panels and put it together with uh, pocket screws. Well, that's fine for some people, and pocket screws are great for certain types of joinery. Uh, but no, that's not fine furniture making in any sense of the word. Sorry. Mm-hmm. Do you have the name of this channel or no? I I, I do, but I'm not going to give it. Oh, come on. Come on. Come on. <laughs> uh, come on. But while we are uh, talking about specific uh, YouTubers or podcasters, I wish, you know, if there was one person I wish that could do uh, 
a podcast every week or do a YouTube channel, at least one video every two weeks. You know, that'd be awesome. Would be good old Norm Abram. I just enjoyed him before uh, he had to quit doing things full time. Uh, who is it? Norm Abram, the New Yankee Workshop. Uh, oh, okay. But you, I've <clears throat> heard him do be a guest on some podcast or some other show since he quit doing New Yankee Workshop, and because he had to quit working full time, it a health issue, um, and he hasn't ever talked about it, uh, other than to say, you know, it was a health issue and a time issue. Uh, yeah. He's spending too much time between both jobs. Uh, anyway, I've heard him speak on uh, making, uh, getting younger people into the trades. Uh, God, he's so intelligent. Hmm. About, you know, business also, teaching and not just doing. Uh, you know, him getting older and not, uh, wanting to put so much time into it, you know, so he could spend time with his family. You know, it's really a tragedy for the, you know, if his younger years would have been in today's technologically capable world, oh, my God, the, the you know, making would be awesome, you know, so mm. much better for it. I think we should probably wrap it up there. What do you think, Todd? Oh, yeah. Um, that way you can get to work and I can get back to the whatever it is I do. Yeah, well, like, a, you know, we were texting <laughs> yesterday, and I said with your dead chainsaw, and this this would fall into what our, our topic would have been today if we weren't sidetracked <laughs> by ourselves. You know, you could just yeah. shoot a, shoot the tree down with <laughs> with some guns. You know, you got you got lots of guns. I'm sure you've got some extra ammo kicking around. Yeah, just I've got a, you know, a, a case or a hundred, um, you know. Yeah, the um, there's a sporting goods store here called Wholesale Sports, and they're going out of business. And uh, have you ever seen those Remington uh, 223, the Buckets of Freedom? <laughs> yes. Yeah, so <laughs> they had those, like, really severely di discounted. And so I bought a lot, a, a lot of Buckets of <laughs> Freedom. So <laughs> it was funny. People ask, oh, you, you know, the ammo shortage and stuff going on. And I, I don't know why, but when I worked at Sanja, I mean, I was in the city every day. And probably once a week, I'd buy ammo, even though I wasn't shooting regularly. So, yeah, I don't I don't think ammo shortages are going to affect me. I'm like that hoarder. I don't know. I, I think last time I counted, I mean, I'm sure you, you could easily have a lot more than me, but I've got I've got tens of thousands of rounds. So if a chainsaw ever breaks down, you just get out the gun and throw some lead at it, and it'll bring her down eventually. Yeah, I could do that. Um, I, I actually might wait until... Saturday to do that because that's opening day of rifle season here and it would just really annoy every hunter in the county. <laughs> yeah, I think I might right. do that. Yeah. And, and do it just after sunrise. You know, they're stalking in, whatever. I don't know what the rules are here or there, but here you're not allowed to start hunting. You're not allowed to shoot. Uh, yeah, it has to be within half hour of sunrise and then only half hour after sunset. But you wait till just the sun's coming up, so it's legal hunting time, and then just <laughs> rattle him off. Just start the animals. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Bang, 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 bang. <laughs> Guy's just getting his sights set up there. He's beautiful shot. <laughs> some some jerk in the distance <laughs> spooks his deer. <laughs> Good times, hey? Yep. Right on. Absolutely. Um, and on that note, uh, this has been, uh, what, episode three 
of Can-Am Soup. And we hope you enjoyed it. Uh, down below, we will have uh, links to our social media as, you know, Jeremy's social media and my social media. Uh, we would greatly appreciate it if you would f follow us, if you would share it on whatever platform uh, you choose, whatever platform you're listening to this on. Share it, you know, with your friends on social media, whether you like it or not. You know, you can share it with 100,000 of your followers and say, hey, this thing sucked. Don't listen. That'd be great. <laughs> That's right. We would appreciate that. And, you know, um, and to all those uh, thousands of people that emailed Jeremy on episode one and said, hey, why don't you try a uh, solo podcast because Todd sucks. I, thank you. Thank you all. <laughs> that did happen, Todd. That did not happen. But yeah, no, we appreciate listening and uh, always, always enjoy this conversation with you, Todd. It's a good time. Uh, as we said, you know, it's a conversation between friends and Jeremy, you are my friend. Thank you, sir. Same here. It's a good spot to end it, hey? Absolutely. <laughs>